0: Good afternoon, and welcome to season two, episode 11 of the Home Health Care Today Show. It's the month of June, and June brings in, of course, the summer months and lots of humidity. All right, our very special guest today, is Dr. Meilan Han. Dr. Han is a professor of medicine and chief of the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care at the University of Michigan. Dr. Han is also an author of a new book that we're very excited about, titled Breathing Lessons, A Doctor's Guide to Lung Health. Dr. Han, welcome to our show today.
1: Well, oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: <laughs> Doctor, do you mind elaborating a little bit more about yourself? I gave a very uh, brief introduction of you, but I'm sure listeners as well as viewers of our show would like to know who is Dr. Hahn and what is your passion, your passion for patients, students at the University of Michigan and beyond, and uh, passion for, for lung health and, and Metro Detroiters?
1: Yeah, so I've actually been in Michigan since 1999. Oh. I did my med school and residency out at the University of Washington, Seattle. Uh, I, when I came out here, I thought it would be sort of the short stint and then I'd end up back in the Northwest, but I <laughs> ended up uh, marrying a native Michigander and <laughs>
0: Very good. <laughs>
1: I've been here ever, ever since, and in fact, more of my family have moved out here, so it's a village now. But uh, I, yeah, so I've been at at the University of Michigan since '99. I started my residency and fellowship here, and then stayed on faculty. Okay. Uh, I recently took over as chief of the division uh, at the beginning. Uh, of the year. It's been a difficult time, I think, for almost all pulmonary divisions across the country because yes. of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I'm really, uh, you know, uh, proud and, and happy to be able to get to serve the, the, you know, the group of doctors at the University of Michigan. I have, have taken care of patients myself for a long time, but I also do a lot of research, uh, particularly into chronic uh, lung diseases like COPD. Yes, there's some cool imaging applications that uh, that I've been working on investigating. But in the last few years, uh, you know, yes. I'm also a spokesperson for the American Lung Association, and so when the pandemic hit, I I realized that there was sort of this crisis of information. A lot of people, all of a sudden, people were lungs were failing, people were ending up on ventilators, but nobody really understood what that meant. Right. Uh, And so that's what ultimately led me to write the book. And, and the goal of breathing lessons was not just to explain to people how their lungs work, although that's really important. Uh, I, I feel like if people understand Stand something then they can be better partners in their own health
0: you got it
1: yes it was also to help them facilitate conversations with their doctors but there's also a lot in the book about and I you know we'll get into it later in the show but also a lot sure. about uh you know how to protect yourself and your kids and your families over a lifetime which i think as you know as physicians that's not something we spend a lot of time talking to our patients about we don't really have time unfortunately a lot of times in the office so and it's often, to be honest, not something that that we learn a lot about in medical school either. So mm-hmm. I, I spent a lot of time, you know, kind of researching and and trying to message. And so, for in the last few years, that's sort of become a passion of mine is just trying to. Um, advocate, uh, yes. you know, for, for patients and to try to get more good information out there.
0: Absolutely, Dr. Han. This is very good. Well, we're glad that you chose, you know, to stay, stay in the, the Michigan area. So glad of that. And we're able to, you know, course and bring more family members to, to the great state. We're also appreciative of the research that you've been able to conduct and the the years of taking care of patients and now leading faculty uh, at the University of Michigan. You hit on some major points about information and that lack of clarity whenever it comes to knowing about lung health, uh, knowing some of the best practices and some of the things to avoid throughout one's life to, to ensure a better chance at having healthy lungs and, and the like. With that being said, if you don't mind giving us a few golden nuggets uh, from the book, Breathing Lessons, A Doctor's Guide to Lung Health, uh, Dr. Hahn, what inspired you to read it? And what are some key things that readers should should walk away with? Well,
1: there's a lot in there. <laughs> <Yes>. um, so- <laughs> But one, you know, for for patients that already have lung disease, there's a lot in there about what what kinds of things to talk to your doctor about. For patients that that aren't sure, but are thinking maybe they do need to see a lung doctor, there's a lot of information in there about the kind of tests to ask for. Unfortunately, we do a really bad job in this country of screening for lung disease and We have millions of undiagnosed patients. And that became even more clear to me during the pandemic when we yes. saw excess deaths. And I think a lot of those were actually related to people that had lung conditions who didn't know it. Yes. Uh, and then we've we've all of a sudden, it seemed like a surprise that some people were getting really severely sick. And I think actually some of that could be explained by having undiagnosed lung disease in the first place. But then there's also a lot in the book about... about how you protect yourself and your families. And I think people might be surprised to know that the lungs don't actually fully develop until your mid twenties. And so I, I think it's helpful to think about lung development in three phases. Uh, That's what happens sort of before birth, what happens as you're getting those lungs to try to get them to their full potential. And then what happens afterwards? One of the things that we've learned in the last few years as a medical community is that, that we had sort of this misconception. We had this misconception that most people entered adulthood with healthy lungs. And then if they had something bad happen to them, or they smoked or were around, you know, a lot of dust or coal mining or something like this, they would get lung disease. But it turns out that when we look at data from studies that a lot of patients or a lot of people really probably do not actually hit Full lung, uh, sort of their predicted uh-huh. lung size. And I think it's it's really surprising for doctors because, you know, we don't ever test kids to see what their lung function is. We don't routinely test adults. Right. Usually only until much, much later in life that, that we check. And so when they were doing studies where they were just following people as part of a study, I think we were really surprised to realize that there's all sorts of trajectories. And so, you know, as a parent, yes. I would be concerned if my child was falling off on a lung growth chart, right? Right. We don't map any of that. So we as parents have no idea if our kids are on target or not on target. So since we we don't know, and a lot of times doctors aren't checking, my mantra is you've just got to be mindful as a parent, as an adult, and and think about all the things. So what are those things? Well. For pregnant moms, that actually means that staying away from nicotine exposures as well as air pollution is really important. Yes. Even the maternal exposure can impair fetal lung development. Wow. Prematurity is a huge risk factor for lung disease. And we're able to save babies at, at younger and younger ages. My own son was born prematurely, but... But it also is a risk factor and something as a parent to be aware of. So, getting good prenatal care and pushing, you know, doing everything you can to, to carry babies to term is really important. Yes. And then, you know, for kids, it's it's things. It's common sense things like making sure they get immunized against uh, some of the common childhood illnesses that can cause pneumonia. Uh-huh. But it's also thinking about how to protect kids from both indoor and outdoor air pollution. And yes. There's actually some data, for instance, that kids that grow up in urban environments or even schools that are near freeways, that constant ex- exposure to air pollution can uh, impair lung function. That actually can improve if the kids are moved moved away from those areas. So, it it you know schools can adopt things like anti-idling policies, or cities can be mindful about where they build schools and You know, you as a parent may not be able to control maybe the city you live in. You've got a job and, you know, but you may be control where in the city you live. Maybe you could even control maybe let's say you're you're in an apartment building. Yes. You know, there are some apartment buildings that are much stricter about things like smoking, which gets across, you know, it's in the central central you know ventilation as much as we like to think that it's not
0: <laughs> right so, so
1: there's a lot of you know a lot of things just you know in the middle school and high school that you know before the covid pandemic we were in the middle of a vaping pandemic still are yes um so you know it, the list goes on and on but but yeah. you know just i think the the one of the key you know messages is that there's so much stuff that happens before adulthood yes that that we have to be mindful of. And then of course all the stuff, you know, that happens in adulthood as well, including both indoor and outdoor air pollution that we don't, you know, maybe we don't think about. We again, I think we all say, well, it's just the smokers or it's just yes. people like that have dirty jobs. But but really there's a lot of other people that are also at risk.
0: Absolutely, Dr. Han. Dr. Han, so in in, in thinking about those uh, levels of lung development, um, as a as a embryo through being a, a toddler, a child, adolescent, teen, and you said all the way into your mid twenties, there's stages of uh, lung development. All right. So as we think about those various stages and people at different ages, when should a person, I guess, be Maybe concern in the event that they find that hey, my child is um, out of breath a little easier than others, or gets winded quicker. Is that a matter of physical fitness, uh, or should you know, parents kind of you know look into hey, is my child asthmatic, right, or does my child have any other type of lung illness? So, what are those uh, key triggers? Uh, right. Or indicators in your so opinion. I would yes.
1: say anytime anyone, child or adult, yes, you know, if you're more short of breath and than, than your peers, yes. like regular, you know, you're golfing with your peers, you're running with your peers, uh, you know, what whatever age that is, if you seem feel like you're more short of breath than everybody else and you can't keep up, yeah, that that's a sign that you should at least get checked out. Uh, you know, coughing wheezing. Another thing that gets missed are frequent respiratory infections Yes. that that settle in the chest and take forever to get better. If you have a child or you're an adult and that seems to happen way more to you than to anybody else, that can also be a sign of some kind of underlying Lung problem that's making you more susceptible to every virus, et cetera, that that comes along. So, unfortunately, you know, one of the reasons for me for writing the book was we as physicians tend to get really busy, Mm -hmm. and the public often isn't adequately educated, and there's this disconnect. So, these conversations are not happening, and the appropriate testing isn't being had. So, I was thinking, you know, by bringing the message to the people.
0: Yes, indeed.
1: You can start having those conversations with your doctors. Don't ignore the symptoms. Talk to your doctor. And one of the most basic tests to ask for is something called spirometry, which is lung function testing. And that is a great way to screen. We may need to do more more studies. Sometimes we do CAT scans and fancier tests, but it's a great screening test just to see if you're in ballpark for where your lung function should be at
0: absolutely very good very good and we will encourage uh, definitely dr. Han we will encourage uh, listeners and viewers you know to have those conversations uh, about screening you know and tests um, some are a little weary of their insurance plans wondering will their insurance do this that or the other but we encourage them to talk to uh, not only their plan provider but talk to their primary care physician right and you uh, Express those concerns, and uh, we'll fight the insurance companies later. Let's not worry about that, but uh, definitely seek the, the necessary screenings and, and attention.
1: I, I I will say I have um, been contacted by patients and providers many times saying we're worried if something like sperm to be covered. I think it's very rare. Yes, you have a patient that's really got true symptoms uh-huh. for insurance to at least deny a basic you know, one-time spirometry. I've seen them complain about ordering it too many times, but really once it's a very, when you look at the costs of tests, it's probably, you know, a fifth the cost of, of, of a more expensive CAT scan, et cetera. It's, there's no radiation exposure. True. So generally I, I have not, I mean, everyone's got a unique <laughs> situation, but it's unusual for it not to be covered.
0: Very good, very good to hear. One more question, Dr. Han, prior to our commercial break here, the lingering effects of COVID-19. Right? Uh, and uh, as much as we would like to put the pandemic behind us, we realize that we are still in it. And this is uh, year two and a half, if you will, of uh, us battling and, and struggling with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. What are some of the lingering effects that you're seeing uh, as related to lung health for uh, for patients and families.
1: Well, one thing that I I actually wanted to mention about the COVID nineteen pandemic in general before I move into that, because this is a Southeast Michigan you know show. Yes. Is the fact that you know one of the things that really stri- uh, upset me um, most about being a Michigander and and you know trying to fight for patients with lung and breathing issues is the fact that we saw um, sort of a disproportionate number of deaths from COVID-19 among some of our minority communities, yes, particularly our our African-American communities in Detroit, et cetera. And so there's been a lot of research to try to understand why that is. People thought, well, maybe we aren't messaging uh, the Black community enough in terms of vaccinations. But a lot of the research suggests that it probably relates to not getting good um, as good of care as people should have in more chronic health conditions before the pandemic even started. Yes. And so I I think when we think about recovering from from COVID, we have to. It's got to be holistic, and we have to. You know, we have to sort of as a human body have to be firing on all cylinders. And yep. and so what we're seeing for patients that that are recovering from COVID is a huge variety of stuff. Yeah. So uh, we have some patients that had really severe lung problems that are continuing to have, you know, lung problems. We have some patients that had sort of this smoldering inflammation that just keeps causing problems as things goes on. And then there's other patients who probably are over the initial insult, but the initial insult was so bad that they got deconditioned or other aspects of their health or diabetes, et cetera, got worse. And so you know, it's it, something, you know, that we have to kind of look at the whole person and try to make sure each little piece is optimized. There are many uh, places, I'm sure, in the Detroit area, as well as, you know, in Ann Arbor, that do have centers that help to specialize in patients with long COVID. But yes. what I would say is if we've got any listeners out there that are struggling with symptoms, of course, talk to your primary care doctor but don't hesitate to be asked to get referred yes. um, to a specialty center, either one that has a lot of different kinds of doctors, or at least to some someone that is an expert in, in the area that the, that your physician thinks it's, is a problem. So for instance, at the University of Michigan, I'm a pulmonologist. We have providers that, that are specifically there to see patients with lung problems with long COVID, right? So that's yeah. And I know that's the case at other hospitals in Detroit, so that's yes. that's just an example, and and it is worth talking to your doctor and fighting to get those referrals so you can see a specialist and, and 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 try to get to the bottom of it as best you can. But what I will say also, unfortunately, is that this is still an area that's being actively researched, and there yes. are still patients where, despite us running every test in the book, we don't fully understand why they're still having symptoms. Yes. And um, and that's something as a medical community, we're still trying to get to the bottom of.
0: Absolutely, Dr. Ha. Well, you know, Dr. Han, I uh, certainly, personally as well as professionally, appreciate the sympathy as well as the empathy that you have expressed uh, for Metro Detroiters and uh, Black and Hispanic communities that were disproportionately uh, negatively impacted by, by COVID-19. And then uh, focusing on not just um, vaccinations or some of the reluctance to be vaccinated, but you also honed in on some of those underlying health issues and challenges that may have gone without being uh, seen or attended to uh, in the life of a patient. So that's critical, critical information. And I also wanna add the comorbidity challenge or comorbidities issue, where um, no one wants anything to be wrong with them, right? So, in a lot of cases, we find where patients and families um, minimize what's going on. Well, it's you know, it's just my blood pressure, right? Um, it's just a little congestion. That's all it is, as opposed to being. You know, a little more exploratory, a little more comprehensive as to say there could be a number of things going on that could be treated by various specialists within a system of uh, health care. Whether it's our partners at Henry Ford Health Systems or Beaumont um, or even University of Michigan has a lot of specialty offices in the metro Detroit area.
1: I get it. You know, we um, screen a lot of patients for lung disease and as part of clinical trials even. And I'll have patients, we've had patients that will call and say they're interested, but they're scared. Yes. And I think people don't want to lift up. I get it. I get a mammogram every year and don't love it. Sure. I always cringe nope. a bit when I'm opening right. up those results. I get it. We don't. Yeah. We, sometimes it's nicer to keep your head in the sand. Yes. But I do try to remember that it's not just about me. Right. You no know, I have a family, a lot of other people that de- that depend on me. Yes. So That's right. Trying to you know keep it together for everyone else. <laughs> and there are, you know, of course we're all scared about the the really scary bad things, but. I would say those are just not as common. The more common things are the common things like blood pressure and True. diabetes, the stuff that we actually have pretty good treatments for. Even, you know, some of the chronic lung diseases have got some really, you know, we've got good medications that can stop flare-ups and things like that. So yep. I would say for the majority of things, even if you do find something, it's probably something that's potentially treatable, yes, even preventable, yep. and better yep. to get on top of it early, but I totally understand (laughs) sort of that human nature piece of I really want to (laughs) know.
0: And we say, yes, you do. (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) Wonderful. Now, now, we're going to go to a quick um, 30-second commercial break here from our sponsor, American Advantage Home Care, and then we'll be uh, right back for a few more questions. As Americans, we're defined by our grit, our toughness, our excellence, and our multiculturalism. But here in Detroit, Southeast Michigan, we are battle-tested. That's our advantage. We've been hit rather hard by the pandemic and other health challenges. Allow American Advantage Home Care to provide skilled home care services for you in the comfort of your own home. We are joint commission accredited and CMS certified. Call us today. Welcome back to season two, episode 11 of the Home Health Care Today show. And we are talking about lung health in this special episode as we enter into the summer months of June. Uh, We're joined today by with Dr. Melon Han. All right, Dr. Han, a few more questions. Thanks for all that uh, wonderful insight in the first half of our uh, segment. All right. As we pick up where we left off, talk to us a little bit about your research in in layman's terms. I believe you alluded to some of it early on in the interview, but let's circle back to research. Um, What are you currently working on that you're excited about? And then maybe some of your past research milestones.
1: Yeah. So, well, one thing that I've been working on for a long time with some other researchers at the University of Michigan is trying to develop tools to identify lung, identify and character, characterize lung disease better. And so yes. using CAT scans, they've developed some software uh, that we actually now use at the University of Michigan. So a patient said, if you've ever had an X-ray or a CT scan and you have looked at it, it looks like a bunch of black and white. Sure. And so yeah. we can take those images and turn them into color images actually for the physician so that they can see in 3D space what parts of the lung are healthy and, and not healthy. And it tells us who's at risk and helps us plan for surgeries and things like that. So, so that's one thing I've been doing for a long time, but honestly, some of the, the research that I'm most excited about in the last few years is taking some of those same techniques and applying them to younger individuals to yes. try to figure out where does lung disease start? At what age? We've, we've always studied the patients we happen to have, and those are always the 50 and 60 year olds. But we've realized if we want to understand where lung disease starts so that we can stop it, we can't study the 60 and 70 year olds. We have to study the 20 and the 30 and the 40 year olds.
0: Right.
1: So a lot of my research now, in fact, if there's any listeners out there, we are, we have multiple studies recruiting at the University of Michigan Mm -hmm. through the National Institutes of Health and the American Lung Association, where we're doing screening CT scans on essentially 25 and up.
0: Wow. So
1: we're bringing those people in and getting breathing tests and CT scans, because like I said, no one else is getting them. No, Physicians aren't ordering them. They're not being done. And so Mm -hmm. until we go and prove that there's, you know, kind of a need and there's, there's stuff going on there, it'll be harder to, to convince people that we need to start doing this. So that's a lot of what I'm doing right now is just trying to understand where lung disease starts, how it starts, how can we identify which people are at greatest risk? You know, can we use things like CT imaging to to try to find early areas of 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 lung injury? So that's yes. that's that's where a lot of my focus is right now.
0: Very good, very good and helpful. I do appreciate the preventative uh, measures and the preventative approach of saying let's scale it back and look at when and where and how. Uh, lung disease is developed? And are there ways to alter those or derail (laughs) those um, impacts of progressive uh, lung disease with getting earlier patients or earlier uh, research subjects, right? Research human subjects involved in the process. Okay. Breathing apparatuses. I've seen where our Uh, Even the the tanks, the uh, oxygen tanks that we use uh, for our patients have changed greatly over the years, right? As a home health care provider, we're often tasked with working with durable medical equipment companies to ensure that people have the right devices. What have you seen, doctor? Devices and breakthroughs uh, as related to uh, patients with, with lung health challenges and issues.
1: Well, probably one of the biggest changes that, that we saw, which was during the pandemic, was the use of high-flow nasal cannula oxygen for patients that were in the hospital. This right. is not something that we maybe had done quite as much, but we mm-hmm. found that many patients with severe COVID in the hospital could avoid having to go on the ventilator if we used these special uh, devices. And so... There are a lot of companies that are working right now on how can we figure out how to deliver more oxygen at home. Yes. How can we make it more portable, easier for patients? Some patients, you know, we we've seen an increase in use of uh, ventilator support within the home in the last few years, Yes. Uh, where people not don't need just the oxygen, but they actually need some device that blows. Of that air in for them, whether that's hooked up to a trach or just a mask that patients put on at night, for instance. Uh, I there's you know kind of more research in that showing more benefit for more patients, but -hmm. at the same time, we all know that particularly if oxygen is hooked up to one of those devices, that is a lot of equipment, Uh, and so a lot of companies are working fast and furious to make those devices smaller, more portable you know just easier for the home environment and so I think in the next few years we'll see sort of a next generation of devices. I think the biggest breakthrough a few years ago was sort of the portable concentrators right so and we were all happy that they were sort of the size of a vacuum cleaner and those (laughs) can get get smaller but I think we're going to continue to see like I said the ability to do even more oxygen portably at home Yes. and just ventilators that are, you know, more portable, smaller, you know, everything a little bit easier. I think so it's probably going to, it may take for some of these devices a few more years still, but I think that's definitely the direction that the field is moving.
0: Wonderful, wonderful to hear it. And yes, we talked about homebound, Dr. Hahn, the homebound community, city of Detroit, uh, according to uh, Detroit, uh, Agency on uh, Aging uh, reported there is about 40,000 homebound Detroiters, right? And that's about 8% of Detroit's um, population, right? So when we think about homebound patients, uh, quite a few people, uh, obviously home healthcare does help and assist in so many ways. And we're fighting to get respiratory therapy uh, identified uh, as a a needed discipline for, for patients. But whenever it comes to caregivers in the home, as well as loved ones, how can they go about creating a better environment for their family member or their loved one whenever it comes to breathing and um, a safer habitat for for breathing and uh, protecting their loved one's lungs?
1: Well, there's a lot to think about. But, you know, in the book, I do go through a lot of things that you can do to optimize the air within the home. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there's some obvious things and some non obvious things. So um, radon is actually a huge cause of lung cancer throughout the country. So if your home has never been checked for radon, you can check with your local, um, you know, county office on, on how to do that. But but there's many kits that you can do in the home and send away and get checked, but that's one thing every home should be checked for radon. Uh, There are um, volatile organic chemicals Mm -hmm. are um, compounds that are found in just about everything um, that can um, cause lung irritation and lung inflammation. And there are some strategies to try to reduce the use of VOCs in the home. That includes, like, if you have to paint, use low VOC paint, trying to find more environmentally friendly um, cleaning products to use in the home. Mm -hmm. If you have to install, you know, non-carpeted services are better, but if you have to install carpet, you can actually have, ask them to be um, um, aired out before they're installed in the home. Uh, Some patients, I'll even recommend getting um, uh, HEPA air filters. We all did this a bit more during the pandemic. I have one in our bedroom, at least, where I can kind of keep an eye on what kind of the, what the air quality is like at least where you know where we probably spend the most of our time, which is mm. where we sleep. Yes, but there are actually other things in the home that can um, be harmful. Um, gas stoves even get cooking yes. stove. I have a gas stove. Um, I try to always hit the exhaust fan when I'm running my gas stove. Uh, Wood burning stoves actually, unfortunately, are a huge source of indoor air pollution, probably worse than anything else I've just mentioned. Um, There are newer EPA-friendly, you know, that meet some of the higher newer EPA standards. So if possible, if you have one, you rely on one, try to move to one of these cleaner burning units. But honestly, even the cleaner burning units, even more optimal would be not to use one at all. But I get it. I I had a wood-burning stove in the home I grew up in, so I, I understand some people still need it. So those are just some common things I ask people to think about.
0: Okay. This is good. Very, very important information there. Absolutely. From that, from the lowest to the even more extreme. So starting with those uh, radon, checking for radon in in the home. And then yes, uh, those chemicals. Uh, So as we think about even like cleaning solutions and the like, paints, uh, common things that individuals do all season long. So I know we gave this episode the preface of the summer and humidity, but obviously as we go into the fall months and we crank those furnaces uh, back up, uh, we definitely want to uh, circle back. We'll circle back, Dr. Hahn, and re-air this show in the the November time frame to refresh people's minds and uh, memories, right? Because now it's summer, I'm going to go outside, I'll barbecue, I'll be on the deck, etc., but folks are going to fire up fireplaces and uh, furnaces in the fall. That's for sure. Dr. Han, last question for you. Um, Besides a primary care physician, um, and then for uh, patients and families out there that don't have PCPs, uh, as a home health care provider, we try to identify and match families with visiting physicians who can come in or even do telehealth visits to get patients started with care. Where else would you suggest or identify families and patients should go to or look to in the event that they have some uh, questions or concerns about lung health?
1: Well, obviously, you know, you can always ask at any time you can ask your primary care provider for a referral to see a lung doctor. You can also, you know, depending on your insurance, of course, you can sometimes just go directly to a lung provider and ask for an appointment one good thing about the pandemic, I think for our homebound patient population is that virtual visits in Michigan are now sort of an ubiquitous thing. And uh, we now, you know, I do almost half my visits virtually now. So (laughs) you can, even, even if it's not ideal, we try to get patients in for that new patient visit in person, at least, But, 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 but sometimes circumstances dictate, it's just not possible. And so we do Many providers, including, like I said, myself and other other writers at the University of Michigan and I know other Detroit area hospitals do do a lot of virtual visits now. And yes. we're also trying one key therapy for patients with lung disease has been pulmonary rehabilitation. Mm. And even that which used to be almost exclusively brick and mortar yes. is now uh, is now um uh, being offered more and more virtually as well and that's yes. an exercise program and breathing exercises and a mm-hmm. little bit of aerobics mm-hmm. and that and 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 there are more and more programs including you know at, at the University of Michigan we're doing a pilot virtual program right now and mm-hmm. there's just more and more resources uh, for virtual options for that too so I would uh, recommend patients check that out as well.
0: Wonderful, wonderful stuff, Dr. Han. Well, hey, congratulations again on the new book, uh, Breathing Lessons, A Doctor's Guide to Lung Health. And doc, where can uh, families find find this great read?
1: Oh, well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> yes. You can, well, I, on my website, drmelonhan.com, you can find it, it, everything related to me in the book, but you can yes. also find it essentially at every major retailer, yes. you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, take your pick. It's uh, available everywhere.
0: Awesome. Well, hey, Dr. May thank you for all that you do, all that you do, not only at uh, the University of Michigan for faculty and students, but all that you've done uh, for patients and with the body, the body of uh, research. And of course, this great uh, learning book, the, the Learning Resource, Breathing Lessons, A Doctor's Guide to Lung Health. We appreciate you coming on our show today and uh, spreading so much great information and knowledge uh, with families as well as patients. uh, And they could actually take heed to the advice that you have uh, given to head down the road of uh, stronger and better lung health. So we certainly thank you and appreciate you, Dr. Hunt.
1: Thank you so much and everything you're doing for Southeast Michigan.
0: No doubt about it.